Here's where we've been. We've had two weeks of this series so far. In the first week, we looked at the power of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, I was trying to use the example of Peter showing how dramatically different he was once the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost and the changes that were evident in him. And the call out there for us was, I think we want that kind of power in our life. In the second week, last week, we started talking about who is the Holy Spirit. And our, our main focus has been to really try to understand. So last week there was a lot of scripture reading because there's a lot of scriptures about the Holy Spirit that we actually never put together. So we kind of miss a lot of how we interact with the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he's about because we just don't see those scriptures in any one place. We did that last week. We made a pretty comprehensive case for different parts of scripture. Tonight, I want to ask you a much more personal question. What would your life look like if the power of the Holy Spirit was evident in you? Let's pause that for just a second and look at that. and Think to yourself, what would it look like? Maybe you're curious. Maybe you think, I have no idea, but I'd like to know. Or maybe it's something that will just draw out of you a little bit more reflection tonight as we think through that. That's actually the question we're going to be taking on. I've been using this image for this series. You're going to see it quite a bit. The idea of us working on our own power pushing a perfectly good vehicle that has a great engine. Uh, of course, the analogy being the Holy Spirit being the power, that engine to drive. There's a lot of quotes that match this. I'm going to just pick one tonight to kind of show you some of the thinking that goes behind this. This is from Francis Chan. He writes in Forgotten God, Without the Holy Spirit, people operate on their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. I want to contrast those two words. Human-sized results and supernatural. When it's on our own power, it's like our own power. What we're capable of is nothing awe-inspiring, nothing that inspires wonder. It's just what we're able to do. Versus when we have the power of the Spirit, the evidence in our lives is supernatural. He says the church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. You ever think that church is just like any other gathering of people? You ever think like, I wonder what makes us so special? Like, what makes us think we're so special? I mean, all of us could theoretically see why we should be special from the pages of Scripture, but sometimes when you look around, you think, hmm, we just seem like another group of people who are able to put things together and put a program together. One of the things I want to tell you is you're going to see me read a lot of quotes to you tonight. Um, I usually don't read quotes. I usually don't do that. But in researching this topic, as many books as I've now gone through, these things just keep jumping off the page to me. And one of the reasons I bring words from somebody other than me is because this is an area I need to really grow in. I'm really good at the human-powered part. And so when I read people who have a life in the Spirit, I want to tell you what they have to say because they actually probably know what they're talking about. And I feel like their words are stronger than anything I can offer you here. So we've been looking at questions that you gave us. And by the way, if you have more questions, just put it on one of those little cards. You'll get another one tonight for other reasons, but you can do that. Last week, we covered all of these questions that you see on the screen. And in the end of this series, we'll probably do a wrap-up. So we covered questions about, does this Holy Spirit have a personality? What's his name? Is he an extension of the power of Christ? What is the role of the Holy Spirit, which I'll review briefly with you in a moment? 
How is the Holy Spirit responsible for our ability to experience God? And why do we know so little about the Holy Spirit? We covered that last week. The most asked question, of course, by everybody is, do you need some sort of baptism of the Holy Spirit? We're going to lay aside some time at the end of this series to deal with that issue. Tonight, we're going to cover one question, just one. Are we capable of anything without the Spirit? Is there anything we can do without the Spirit? That's the one question we're going to cover tonight. Now, there's a lot of questions you've asked, by the way. Here's just some of them. I'm not going to even read them because we read them all last week. Here are some of those questions, right? Here are some questions. You guys ask all sorts of questions. Here's another page of questions. So if we only answer one question tonight, we'll be in this series for like 39 weeks. Here's some more questions you asked. All of these come from you. The good news is some of them we're going to group together and answer, and some of them are just yes and no questions. And if you want an explanation, you'll have to read one of the books I'm reading, you know? So... If, you, if you've got that special problem where you go, but I don't understand, like, here's the book. Just read this, all right? <laughs> Let me just review with you what we covered last week about who is the Holy Spirit. Because I think this is really key for us to understand who he is. First, we said the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. We said that the Holy Spirit is somebody whom you could blaspheme, insult, and grieve. And there's the verses up there. What we're really trying to differentiate most importantly is that the Holy Spirit is not an it. Now last week the question was asked, am I attributing gender to the Holy Spirit? No, but I'd rather we erred there than continue to think of the Holy Spirit as just some force, some impersonal, inanimate object, some personification of a trait rather than a person. Because you can't have a relationship with a personification of a trait. But you can't have a relationship with God and a person of God. I also talked last week about the roles of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read them real fast to you, but here's what I just want you to think about for a moment. Why I even decided to repeat them again. I guess you could file it under this theme. It is awfully tragic to know so little about the person of God who is responsible for all the things I'm about to tell you. We went last week and read all of these verses, but just keep in mind, it is tragic that we know so little about the person of God who's responsible for all of these things. What are those things? Well, here's just some of the roles that we covered last week. To indwell us as believers. To remind us of Jesus' teachings. To testify about Christ. To convince the world of their sin, of the future judgment, of our need to be righteous by what Jesus has done. The one who guides us into all truth. The one who speaks to us what is given to him by Jesus. The one whose role is to glorify Jesus. The one who brings us to faith. The one who gives spiritual gifts to the church. The one who helps us in our weakness. The one who gives us power for God's work. The one who gives us words when we need words to witness. The one who gives us life and not condemnation, who, whose work it is to set us free from the sins of the body. The one who is given to us as a sign of our adoption as sons and daughters of God. The one who acts as a deposit, a down payment, a guarantee of our future inheritance. The one who has allowed us to overflow with hope by his power. The one whose work it is to transform us every day to become more and more like Christ in ever-increasing glory, like the one who made us. The one who produces fruit in us, fruit of the Spirit. That's a lot of stuff, as I said last week, 
for us to know so little about the one who is the source by scripture. And every one of these you saw is actually from scripture. So you can get this list or you can listen last week as we read through all of these verses. These are the, and there are others. I just stopped <laughs> with these. There are other places the Holy Spirit's role is mentioned. Uh, so we can go on and on. And these are just New Testament ones. Yes, there are some Old Testament ones as well. All right. So let's get back to the question that we're asking tonight. What would your life look like if you actually had this relationship with the Holy Spirit? I want to kind of describe what's happened to us as a church from the words of A.W. Tozer, one of the authors that we're reading, who, by the way, is cited in almost every one of the books because he had such an amazing way of describing the relationship he had with God and specifically with the Spirit. Uh, because of his experience with the Spirit. He says, if the Holy Spirit were taken away from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would come to a halt. Think about that for a moment. Just think about what he's saying. The things that happened in the early church were so amazing that 90% of them could not have happened if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. But here's his critique. The rest of the quote is probably the part that I think we should think about more. But if the Holy Spirit were taken away from the church of today, 10% of what we do would come to a halt. Do you agree with him? Do you think he's being overly harsh? 10% is a bit much. 10% a bit much? <laughs> <laughs> so he's being generous. He's a little, a little generous with how much would come to a halt. Okay. What do you think? I think it depends on the church. Okay. But I might agree with him. All right. So yeah, of course there are some churches that this is not true of, right? But I think he's looking at it as us as a whole, right? Yes? I think that critique's more for the American church. I think for many churches outside of the U.S., um, it's a lot higher than 10%, even if it's not anywhere near 90. Okay. That's a very, probably a good perspective. Uh, and we've even had conversations about that. Uh, I think Abby and I were actually talking about it on a Wednesday night once about what happens in that regard. Yes, Daniel. Uh, I think the church is, really is neglecting the Holy Spirit, like that quote reflects. But I think that, I think if the Holy Spirit were taken away, it would change a lot more than 10%. I think the Spirit is doing a lot more than the church knows, even in that blindness. And so I would say that the Holy Spirit's participation in the church, regardless of its failings, is a lot more than 10% even today. Okay. So we, you, you feel, we feel the weight of the comment, but we might quibble as to whether 10% is too high or maybe we just actually are easy to point the finger at the church without knowing how much the Spirit is actually doing. Okay, yes? I'm just trying to like understand or maybe envision what 90% of the Holy Spirit looks like today because I think like what was kind of touched upon as far as like witnessing or truth reflection for the people that go to the church or people that might go to church and the Holy Spirit is there and it seems like truth and they want Christ or they have this revelation to need Christ or those things that we don't see. I think the Holy Spirit is very active and very important and still doing so much that we don't see. So I mean, I think just to remove it would be devastating for us, even, even if it's 10% of what we do. But what does 90% look like? So what does that mean? Is it because we're not healing people and we don't have these types of miracles or we're not as selfless as we should be or we should be giving everything and living more communally like what what does that look like for a church well i think we're going to narrow it for today's discussion by saying 
that 90% of what we do in our own churches today, we could do on our own power. And maybe, as Joseph said, we're going to limit to look at the American church today so that we're not all over the place. One of the things that's interesting about healings and all those kinds of things that you mentioned is uh, those were going on even before Pentecost. The disciples were able to do even those things before. I don't think that, I think we look for the kind of, uh, you know, fireworks type things and go, there is a spirit right there. Like in the fireworks, right? But I don't think that that's what I want to kind of focus on today. What I really want to do is think of the spirit the way that these authors are defining him as power to enable the church to do what it is the church is called to do. And the comment here would reflect that many churches could do what they're doing with or without the Holy Spirit. So what is that that they're doing without the Holy Spirit, right? Because like last week we talked about how the fact that we even know that we need Christ is something from the Holy Spirit. So anyone that comes to God like has experienced the Holy Spirit. So what is it that we're doing? Like fundraising, like life water, like that type of thing, like just being good in society? Well, look at Francis Chan's comment, for example. Like he would say in response to that, he'd say, even our church growth can happen without him, the Holy Spirit he's talking about. Let's be honest. If you combine a charismatic speaker, a talented worship band, and some hip creative events, people will attend your church. Yet this does not mean that the Holy Spirit of God is actively working and moving in the lives of the people who are coming. People are more likely to describe the quality of music or the appeal of the sermon than the one, capitalized one, who is the reason people gather for church in the first place. And that's why I'm saying we're focusing here on a narrow issue of the enabling power of the Spirit, because that is exactly what's going on. Somebody could say, if I got the right band, if I got the right lighting, if I got the right speaker, if I got the right place, if I got the right people, if I built the right momentum, people would come and go, wow. And this is coming from somebody who's in that, who's done that, right? And can freely confess that you could have all that and attract people like crazy, and, this, and you could be doing that on your own power. Could. Like, not everybody who does that is doing it on their own power, but it's altogether easy. Maybe Tozer is harsh in saying 90% of what we're doing is all by ourselves. That if the spirit withdrew, we'd still be able to do most of it. We'd still be able to have churches and even grow them and even have people come to Christ and all those things. But I agree with what you're kind of struggling with. But if the Holy Spirit is the one who brings people so... Maybe he's overplaying the statement to make the point. But most people, when they're looking for evidence of the Spirit, they're looking for this kind of stuff. This is what they're looking for. This is what they're talking about. And notice, I like how he says, people are most likely to describe the quality of the music and the appeal of the sermon. I mean, listen to what people talk about on a Sunday morning after it's over. What are people talking about? They're like, like Siskel and Ebert, you know, in the old days, like just sitting around. <laughs> Like, talking about, well, did you like that? I don't know, the second half kind of lost me. Like, what was up with that? Hey, that song was really good. Like, what they would say if, they, if I went on with this quote is, like, the people who are moved by the Spirit walk out talking about Jesus. Because remember, the role of the Spirit is to point to Christ. They're walking out talking about God. They're glorifying God as a result. And they're not focused on the methods that got them to do that. Peter. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. That makes sense to me. I think I just struggle with what a, uh, what like the um, the whole you know, people talking about um, the one as like the good the thing after service, like what the, a reasonable alternative of that looks like. It's not just like oh God's good, yeah, you know, like it's not just. I, I feel like I've seen enough like empty Christianese in some situations like that to where I, I find myself skeptical that I would take that as proof, you know. 
So I mean, I, I get that just but to, to counter that. I, I wonder what uh, what it might look like in practice. You know? I agree, and that's the thing that I struggle as I studied this is is. And so we preview next week. We got to start talking about how do we get to that, right? Which is the next logical step in the series is, okay, so if you convince me we do too much on our own power, the next logical step is, well, how would I change that? But even the empty Christianese you're talking about, isn't that an effort to praise the Lord on your own power? Like you don't have the actual like words. You don't have the actual wonder of the Lord. You don't, you're not walking out singing psalms and hymns and praises the way that the Acts Church did. You're not constantly with lips on your lips scripture and repeating to one another the truths. So we kind of put on that Christianese because it sounds like that's what it would sound like if we did it. And that's why we all feel that it's fake. That's why when somebody comes up to I mean, somebody did it to me this morning. They said, so what's the Lord teaching you this week? And I was like, it's not the question that's wrong. It's a great question. It's the fact that I know the way you asked it just creeped me out, you know? Like, it's just Christianese. Like, it's just like you think that's what you're supposed to do after a service is turn around to me when I said, hey, how are you doing? Good. What's the Lord been teaching you this week? And I thought to myself, why have I have this gut reaction to that? Because the question is beautiful. On Wednesday nights, we're talking about how to have more spiritual conversations with people because we're all stigmatized against doing it. And here's a man who freely opened up and did exactly what I'm trying to get everybody else to do. And yet there was something weird. And I think what it was is I felt that it wasn't really what he wanted to talk about or really wanted to do. He was just following the formula. We should be celebrating that way, but because we feel like we're just doing it, the inauthenticity of it just kind of makes us all feel uncomfortable. What would it look like? Let me answer it a different way. I'm going to answer it from different angles tonight. Listen to this quote. When I live by my own power and strength, says Francis Chan, relying solely on my natural talents to see me through, then people naturally praise me for how I'm living. When I'm living in a way that requires me to depend on the Holy Spirit, people respond by praising my Father in heaven. If you saw a miracle take place, something that that person could not pull off, would you praise them? Would you say, like, that was amazing how you pulled that miracle off? Like, you would, you would know right away that such sounds strange. If this was truly some unbelievable result, you wouldn't say, wow, you're pretty good at that. We would all recognize that it was something beyond them. But that would be God evident in our lives. Again, it's just like now take it from the church where it looks like all of this is evident. You know, Now they're taking it down to an individual level. So instead of being a collective body with the spirit at work or not, now he's talking about in an individual life. People would see God in you all the time. Why? Is it because you just shine God? I mean, yeah, that's the things we sing about. But it's because everybody would go, there's no way you could have done that. It's just not possible. Yes, Abby. I think a big part that maybe he's missing here um, is like the negative aspect. Like you have a lot more like opposition and persecution in your life if God is evident in your life. And I think that causes, or that's even uh, a bigger indicator of God being there or like the Spirit doing something when people are consistently like opposing you in that or like coming against you for that. And so I would even like alter it by saying like people respond by like cursing my father in heaven or like really being opposed to it. Um, because the Christians that I know that are more 
what I would consider like spirit level, but have like 10 times more trouble with people than I do. And I feel like I'm much more fake than they are. And so I feel like that's just like a really good ind indicator, at least what I've seen, what people, like spirit-filled people, I guess, like their lives look like. It's a lot harder. Good. Push back on this. Yes. It has a lot to do with how someone receives a compliment. I mean, you're saying like the first one, if I live by my talents and my skills alone, then they're mine and I take the praise. But if I naturally look at my skills and my talents as not mine but not even, someone gives me a compliment, it's glory to my father, it's not for me. If, and then you're looking at living with the Holy Spirit as evident, it's you're looking at fireworks and miracles or really good speeches, but that could be just a charismatic speaker. I mean, how do you know it's Holy Spirit or it's not, unless it's a miracle? That's a very good critique, because we've talked about that. That's probably the best question that's been put on the card so far, is how do we know the difference between us and the Holy Spirit? How much do we put forward versus how much the Spirit is going to do? But let me just add in response to your comment, it's not so much about how we receive a compliment. It's actually what people are going to compliment that matters. Like if I saw you doing something pretty amazing, like just you, I'd say, well, Andrew's pretty good at that. That's, that's just his natural ability, his natural talent. You know, he's really good. But if I saw you doing something that no human being could really do, or would just be beyond what I know you could have ever done on your own, that's when I don't even give you the compliment at all, other than to say you followed the Lord in this. Because clearly the Lord has acted. A uh, simple example from the Old Testament. Take Gideon, who started off with over 30,000 soldiers and was marching off to war. If he had won that with 30,000 soldiers, people were like, he's a pretty good general. When God whittled it down to 300 and they won, nobody was saying Gideon is an amazing general. <laughs> Everyone was saying God is an amazing God, that he could first whittle them down. I mean, if we say anything about Gideon, we say, wow, you didn't run and think that is the dumbest thing you've ever asked me to do. So we might give him praise for something different, like I can't believe you actually went for it. But we wouldn't be saying it's because of your natural abilities as a general. Like you've basically clipped his wings down to nothing and he still wins. You go, that's God. Soren. I think I, think I have a hard time with this because it sounds nice, but when I really think of on life and people I've known, I really, as I've been sitting here, I can't think of the situation in my life, something I've seen that I would say this. And, I, and I've known some great people, spirit-led people, but I really can't think of a situation in which this would apply. Okay. I'm going to come back to that point in just one second. Chris. I guess, to me, I'm critical of the statement God would be clearly evident because it makes me feel like if it was that easy or if it was, then why did the spirit go from like 90% to 10%? Like, I, I feel like it's more about people respond. It is a responsibility of the person knowing the spirit and being involved and living that out, but just like believing in God and Jesus is a choice, being exposed to the spirit is also a choice. So. So people who might receive it may not receive it. Like if I do something amazing today, or just like sports, right? I mean, make an amazing catch in football, and maybe that was because of some sort of talent that I have to the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to get the credit, not God, right? Because that's our culture. Unless you're Tim Tebow. Then of course. So. Because he's terrible, and he somehow sometimes <laughs> All right, that was probably bad. Yes. Um, 
the times that I have encountered people uh, and really felt the Holy Spirit kind of dripping off of them, you know, into the room or all the words that they say, it's much less seeing the things that have happened to them or seeing what was produced or, you know, like, oh, things worked out. It's always been, oh, this person has become a different person than most people that I've met. And I think that the way that the Spirit works is instead of instead of thinking it as like it does stuff in the outside world, that's all it does is it does stuff. I think that the, the big bread and butter of the Holy Spirit is it makes a certain kind of person. Not not comes through for them in a certain way, but transforms you into a certain kind of person that reacts whether or not something comes through for you, whether or not you get what society would say makes you successful. Um, and when you meet those people, whether they're they're making it or not, whether you know everything's going okay, there's just something about them that you say like, wow, that that this person is different. This person has been transformed, and I think that's where the spirit lives. Okay, very good. Going this way, yes. So my question is like, I have a lot of people in my life that accredit everything to God, and it's like it didn't come from God. Like it came from their own power. And because of that, like, I am so hesitant to say, like, oh, God, be glorified in this. Because I'm so sick of the Christianese that do that. And so how do we, I guess, make what we say authentic to people that don't know us? Or how, how can people sense the authenticity when I feel like we're in a culture that is so spiritualized in what we say, giving credit to God when... I really don't think that he had anything to do with it. Do you want to respond? Yeah, I think it depends on how people are giving credit to God because <clears throat> because if we take James seriously, for example, he says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. So if you're praising God, you know, if you get an A on a paper and you're saying praise God, um, if you unpack it to say God has given me the ability to write and think, I mean, think of all the people who don't have that ability. I mean, like, there's a sense where God has empowered you and has provided and is the very sustenance and even any ability that you'd have to do anything, to be honest. So in that sense, praising God is actually very truthful and honest. However, I know what you're talk talking about, Abby. There are people who say it in a strange way. Or, I mean, I don't know exactly how to get over that other than being able to teach people that, yeah, we should praise God for everything without over spirit you know like i mean does that make sense and there are the acts of god that are totally the acts of god that aren't just yes god has given us natural abilities or he's opened my mind or he's done these things but we should be encouraging people to, to praise god in all things I and mean, I, I don't think we can drop that and we have to be careful not to overcorrect because there are people who yes just like the person who came up to me in church today that maybe that was an awkward way for him to communicate but the sentiment itself is still beautiful and biblical and should be the thing that we do. So the fact that, let's say, everybody hears from God around you, like everybody's got a word from the Lord, and you're thinking, that's not real. Or every parking space that's ever been given was because God gave it to me. You might say, you might say come on, but here's the tension. If you start to say, come on, too much, you actually miss the work of God sometimes because once in a while, that's exactly what's going on. And what I'm worried about that happens to us, it happens to me, is we get stigmatized. We get kind of too sensitive to these things, and we miss where God is working. I don't know the answer of how you teach those other people to mature in their way that they're doing certain things, 
But, you know, God help us, we're probably immature in other ways, right? I mean, that's the hard part, is we should be teaching one another and helping one another grow and mature to get beyond those. But we just have to be responsible for ourselves not to overcorrect and start to think, okay, so maybe I can gently say that to some of my friends one time, like, are you sure that was, right? But don't miss God when he's working in your life. Going this way? Yes. I'm going to reiterate that. Just, it seems risky to correct people when our whole series is about how none of us in this room are very understanding of what the Spirit is, but we're quick to judge when, what it is or isn't it. And that's the number one question. So why are we judging people without having the ability to discern when it is or isn't it? But how do they discern in the book of Acts, by the way, when they had questions like this? They got together and they discussed it. I mean, the classic example is Paul getting a vision, which is the best way to, that I would like God to communicate to me, <laughs> right? And the man from Macedonia says, come here. But if you read the language very carefully, they didn't just go. They didn't just pack up. It says, we thought it best that. We deliberated that. We, they talked about it. They said, hey, somebody's received a vision. Now let's get together and talk about what it means. So there is a lot of benefit that comes from this collection. And that's why we do this here. And that's why all people should be, when they're struggling with it, is this from the Lord or is it not? The first thing you should do is convene other people that you think the Lord speaks to. Jess? One thing I've noticed that makes me react that way against that kind of language is thinking critically about the implications. And if God really did do that, what does that mean for all these other people around? And I feel like, yeah, we can overreact, and it's, it's not a good thing to de-spiritualize everything, but I think that we also have natural abilities, or maybe the part, maybe we're acting on the spirit and discerning, but we don't really recognize it, that, well, this isn't as simple a, an instance as you are thinking of it as. Okay. Yes. Yeah, no, I was just uh, going to say that, like, I think God definitely builds on his own strengths, you know, so he's put something special, you know, gifting inside of everybody. And so when you come to the spirit, the spirit, you know, brings out who God really created you, you know, where you're seated with him. And so all of a sudden that gifting that you already had is manifested and, you know, empowered in that spirit, you know, and it kind of agrees with what's already in you. And we've seen it before, like, you know, we have friends and they're into all their spiritual things and seances and the rest of it. So they already have like a gift in that area. And then they tag along with the spirit, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they understood that part of them that they've always desired. And the spirit worked through them, and they're saying these prophetic, unbelievable things that you can only think are working through the spirit. But at the same time, it's not like it was completely foreign to them. And so even from an outside scope, like you could praise them and be like, oh, you know, that's an amazing thing that you've done. But in their life, they know, like, this is the spirit working through me. This was never evident before. And so I feel like, um, yeah, the Spirit's there a lot of time to already uh, churn up and sprung with God, like the gifts God's already planted in your life. Um, but it's difficult with that. So. Okay, I'm going to take two more questions, Peter and then Joseph, and then we're going to move on. There'll still be more time. There's more slides coming. Peter? Yeah, to go back to the theme of, of viewing the Holy Spirit as a person, very intentionally. As, as Daniel was saying, um, his thing about you know, the Holy Spirit kind of crafting his people, I, I was kind of thinking of how um, one of the dangers with viewing the Holy Spirit is this impersonal force that, that I've fallen prey to, like that just kind of reminded me of the thing. It was, you know, I think I, when I think of friends who pray really well or, you know, like get into, um, you know, like deep, um, you know, like relating or like you're having heavy conversations, you know, people who have like those spiritual gifts, 
I think we kind of treat the Holy Spirit like some energy force they have like access to or can like tap into rather than like some person to be thanked. You know, and I think that's that's pretty hard for me, even with like, you know, not a, a not infrequent like I mean, I've talk, you know, like the Holy Spirit isn't this completely foreign thing to me. Like but I think I pretty frequently like don't view it as this person and instead I'm like my friend Sam has the, this like gift of prayer. And like, yeah, we'll like pray in the spirit or you know, but it's kinda like this this like current rather than this you know, you know, and I think I think that's that's something we should try to attack too, because if we don't recognize that as some external, like conscious person to think, like then you know it's gonna be that much harder to praise our Father in heaven for something. It's just like, oh God, thanks for this gift that you gave me so I can do this. Okay. Very good. Yes, Joseph. I think also going off that point and also back to Abby's point, I think because we think of it as kind of an impersonal force. Um, I think that kind of leads a little bit into thinking, oh yeah, that's just the Christianese part of it because we're thinking, oh anybody, it's just a, it's just an impersonal force that reacts in the same way to everybody. So you get that Christianese answer because it's the same for everybody and goes down the line. Whereas if we look at it as a person and he reacts differently to different people, I think that could allow us to maybe open our minds a little more to maybe the spirit really is working in some ways in these people whether it's in Christianese type terms or not. Now, some of you read the work of A.W. Tozer, it would bother you. Uh, Tozer would, for example, say like, when you go into a worship service and you just feel like all of this energy, that is not the spirit. The spirit is not an energy. The spirit is not inspiration. The spirit is not in the worship band when everybody just feels all good together. But we think that's the spirit. We're settling for something to grasp onto because we don't know who the spirit is, he would say. We've really settled when it comes to this area. So we feel like if the worship was rocking, that was the spirit. He's like, that's a rockin' worship band. There should be one thing, though, that you should be bothered by about Francis Chan's quote, and that is that he says, he makes this distinction between my own power, my own strength, and he says, relying solely on my natural talents. The only quibble I would have with that is, don't our natural talents come from God? Isn't God the author of everything, including our natural talents? Um, just hang on to that thought, because in coming weeks, we have to kind of take those apart. Like, you know, like it's almost like, ooh, bad. You're relying on your natural talents. You know, I praise God for my talents. I don't always know if the spirit is active. I don't even know if it's a spiritual gift sometimes. You know, they, I take inventories, and I don't really know. Is that a natural talent? Is that a gift? It's hard to tell. We gave the spiritual gifts inventory to a couple non-Christians just to see how they would do, and they did phenomenally well on it. That, that makes me... <laughs> Since the definition of a spiritual gift is a gift given to a believer for edification of the body, I found it disturbing that they did so good on it. Of course, I would have to think of something like that, like, let's give it to some non-believers and see how they do on it. You know? And they did really well. They, they had like all sorts of gifts. And I thought, something makes me wonder about this whole inventory baloney. <laughs> Just keep this in mind, because that question is still haunting me about, how do I know when it's my natural ability? How do I know my efforts? Yes, no. Megan, jump in. I, I might be confused, because I'm thinking, when he's saying solely on my natural talents, I'm reading that as you are relying on yourself, and you don't really need to bring, you don't need to invite God into that beyond who he's made you to be. And that, I think would be the wrong way to go about it. So you are right. That is the way I've resolved it in my mind that that even if God gave me all these things, the fact that I would think that that was enough and I didn't need him anymore is the error. Right? So yes, that is what he's saying. If God had given us any one of us 
a bunch of things, including spiritual gifts, but we still unplugged from him and just took them and did what we wanted to, that would still be error. Yeah, because I think about like, for example, maybe like you and your practice, like you have so many talents and of course they've come from God, but like it seems like if you approached your job and your ability to provide for your family as like, thank God I have these talents and I don't need to pray to God for strength. I don't need to pray for new clients. Then it would be, you know, obviously off. So that would be reality. Yeah, that would be exactly, <laughs> that'd be exactly what happens to me. Yeah, I struggle with that too. I guess I just, I, I think right away I say, yeah, it would be wrong to rely on your natural talents because I think it's less of a challenge with us saying these talents come from God. And I think the bigger challenge is saying, well, who needs God when I'm, you know, a good, like, marketer or whatever dumb thing. Okay. Let me press forward. Last week, Ben asked a very good question when we said the Spirit is the one who gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And he said, well, does that mean that people who have some of those traits, whether it's love or peace or patience or gentleness or any of those things, does that mean the Holy Spirit is working in them? Or do they just have some of those? Are you saying that the Spirit is the only way you get those? The reason I said we have to come back to that is because of this quote right here, also from Francis Chan. He wants us to think for a moment about what do we settle for when we talk about fruit of the Spirit. He says, do you possess the fruit of the Spirit to a supernatural degree? Do you exhibit more kindness and faithfulness than the Mormons that you know? Do you have more self-control than your Muslim friends? Do you have more peace than Buddhists? More joy than atheists? What disturbs me most, he says, is that we're not really bothered that God, living in us, has not made much of a noticeable difference. Most churchgoers are content to find a little bit of peace rather than a peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Again, the focus here is not on miracles, it's just the degree, I say, that would produce spiritual fruit beyond measure. Where you couldn't just look at somebody and go, I think they just have a gentle temperament. You'd say, that's, that's amazing how they could be that way. You would really say the only way they could be that way is because of God's work in their life. There's no way they on their own could be that way. Yeah, Soren. I think what interesting with this quote is that I have many times thought and am bothered by the fact that God living in me hasn't made much of a noticeable difference. And when I look at other people and think, I don't notice much of a noticeable difference in them either. So, but even being bothered with that, I just kind of sometimes don't know what to do with it. And it's kind of, well, I don't want to be overly cynical about it. So I guess I'll just trust that some small change is happening, even if I don't see it, and try to still faithfully go about my walk. It's very honest. I think actually most of us are probably in some place like that where we're, yeah, we would say I'm, I am feeling that there should be more of that exhibited. Okay? Yes, Jordan. Um, I have some friends that are atheists, Muslim, Buddhists, that have peace, joy, that transcends all understanding that I go, how in the world can they be like this? And how can that be when obviously they're not Christian? Yeah, I don't know the answer because I'd, ha I'd have to know your friends, right? But I think the sentiment disturbs a lot of us because I think that's why Ben asked the question last week, which is, you know, it does seem to think we talk about these things like we're the only ones that have them. And I guess what I would come back and say is, again, I feel like somehow we've settled for the level in which we think is God-inspired. 
I think we've just kind of reduced it to such a level that other people have it, but that's because we just kept dropping the level in which we think a Christian life should be changed, transformed, and what it would look like compared to anyone else. And we're like, hey, we kind of look like everybody else. Like, well, <laughs> that's the problem. But his revealed word is going to say that the spirit, at least the spirit's role, is transforming the believer by first indwelling them and doing those things internally. I don't know if I totally like the quote, but I will tell you where I think we're differing. These aren't things you do. These are things the spirit does to you. The whole idea of fruit of the spirit is not what you're going to get or how much self-control you can take on. It's evidence the spirit is in you. These things will result. And that's why I think the question that he's asking is, do you have this? Not, did you do anything to get it? It's, has the spirit worked in you enough that this fruit is so evident that it's beyond all the measure that anybody else could have without the spirit? And I think the answer for many of us is no. Yes. I think my problem with this quote is that it doesn't take into account the raw material that each person's been given. That, Lewis has an, an entire chapter about this where he says that it's not so much that Christians are nicer or more kind or more peaceful than other people, but for any given person, like one person, if they really have fully accepted Christ and the Spirit, then they should be a kinder or a more peaceful person than they were before. But that doesn't necessarily, but if you kind of have this natural setbacks in your life and things were hard for you, that wouldn't necessarily mean that you were then kinder or maybe more faithful than other people, but you're just more kind than you would be yourself without Christ. Yeah, I mean, because especially when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, not anything else, but the fruit of the Spirit is what results with the Spirit's work in us. It's almost like asking, how do I know the Spirit's in me? Because this fruit will result. Okay. Two more and then we're moving on. Yes, Chris. Uh, the reason why I like the quote is that I think it agrees with the earlier one that talks about we all agreed that 10% was maybe generous. Well, this is kind of saying the same thing in a different way, right? I mean, if, if things aren't happening now, it's because, you know, God's this presence of the Holy Spirit isn't in our life. And, and I like how he's pointing out, why doesn't that bother anybody? I mean, that, that shouldn't, right? It really should bother you. Okay, Krista. I have two thoughts. Um, my first thought is at the beginning, I think whenever he is comparing uh, us to other people, Christians to Mormons, whatever, um, even Christians to Christians, I think we have to be a little careful of comparing ourselves to other people because we don't know where that person began. You know, like maybe they began in a very, very broken home and we didn't, um, but they're a Christian and we're not, and then we're saying, they're a Christian, what? But look where they came from. They have maybe um, a lot more healing, or they just have healing in certain areas that are very significant. That's one thought I have. And then the second thought I have, um, I do kind of like uh, the last two sentences, where like what disturbs me most is that we're not really bothered that God living in us has not made much of a noticeable difference. I like that in the sense of like, I think it provides a good kind of like place for you to ask, okay, where am I? Has the gospel really washed over me? Because I think there are a lot of church goer goers, and I'm guilty of this at times, um, especially in the past, hopefully not as much, but of it's like, yeah, maybe I go to church because it feels good. It makes me feel good. When instead, like, 
and maybe this is part of the church's fault um, and what we need to be better at is what does the gospel say about every aspect of our lives? Like even our identity, what does the church say or what does the gospel say about our identity and how it's not found in, um, you know, how we, what we're able to make of ourselves work-wise or all of these other things. So I think trying to translate the gospel into every aspect, I think is another way that that would only help us to really see it lived out in our lives. Okay. I'm going to skip to this for a moment because this is where Soren was a number of minutes ago when I said I'd come back to this. I want you to ask this very personal question right now. What could I not have accomplished today without the power of the Holy Spirit? This is where I want to bring it to a very personal point. As you think about your day for a moment, and I actually just want you to just for a moment, just pause. I'm going to pause right now. I just want you to think about your day and think, is there something today I could not have done if it were not for the power of the Spirit in me? Just pause and just think about that for a few seconds. The flip side of asking this question would be, what did I accomplish today without the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, it's one thing to theoretically say that we could do things in our own power, and we often do. That it would be better if people could see God evident in us in a way we go, there's no way you could have done that without the Lord. But now the real question is, how about today? Any day. You know, when I was working on this today, my wife was looking over my shoulder and she's like, can you think of anything? I don't know that I had a ready answer. I didn't know that in my mind I was like, you know, the reason I'm asking this question is because I've actually been thinking about it for weeks after reading Tozer's initial quote about what we do on our own. And I've started to notice all the things that I do on my own completely. I would even encourage you to try this. This is totally nuts. But maybe take out a piece of paper and start to ask yourself at the end of every day, what could not have happened today were it not for the power of God? Maybe all it's going to do is highlight how much we actually do totally on our own. And maybe it'll do nothing more than bring you to your knees saying, I need more of you and less of me. I don't even know how to do it, but I'm going to ask for it anyway. I'm just going to ask. Because I keep coming every day at the end of the day, it seems like there's nothing on the page. Seems like I can do almost anything without you. But at least brings up a helpful question to us to be able to say, what do I do in the power of the Spirit? What could I not accomplish without God? Is there anything? Daniel. Um, I, I think that it's not like what, what, do, what has happened, like has a miracle happened today or has something phenomenal happened today? But, but the moment that, that I felt the Spirit indwell, um, it changed me. And I felt that. I went from a very angry person to a very calm person. And from that moment, everything that I've done has been influenced by that. So now, as a person who's been transformed, not fully, but partially by, this, by the Holy Spirit, I write down everything that I ever do. I mean, my page would be off the charts because I, I conducted myself in a way that was more Christ-like than I was before I knew Christ. And so it's not, you know, did I do something I couldn't have done? But as I did it, I did it as a person who's different than I could have been. 
It's very helpful. That's very helpful because we think of do sometimes as a thing, right? But sometimes, like you said, the manner or the attitude which we have. But that's why I go back to the fruit of the Spirit, which all of them are attitudes, right? All of them are things that we could not do, like love is one of them. But, you know, we can all love. Everybody loves at some level, but he's talking about a love, supposedly, that would be beyond that, like a piece that passes understanding, a love that would lay down life and go even beyond that, right? A love that we can't understand apart from the Spirit. Okay. With that corrective, I want you just to think about that for a moment. Here's what I've done just maybe this week as a practical thing, since we've been hanging out with this car analogy for the last few weeks, I thought, what better than to give you a little addition to your keychain? With the little cars on there, and on one side of it, it just asks the first question. What could I have not accomplished without the power of the Holy Spirit? On the back side, it says, what things did I accomplish today on my own strength and ability? Since everybody has keys, just clip this to your keys and just see if it triggers something in your mind this week. It's a tool. <laughs> it's not a Bible verse. It's not an eternal truth. You can even hate it right now because I expect people to resist it. And that's okay. It's a tool. It's just meant to lay bare your heart a little bit to do some work. To actually think about it for a moment and think, yeah, how much am I doing? And maybe, maybe it isn't today. Maybe it's this month. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's like the last season of your life. I'm not trying to focus on the day, but it is good to ask yourself at the end of the day because you remember things very easily in one day. You can go home on the drive like I've been thinking, is there anything that I've done? The reason I said to come back to Soren's comment about this idea about, you know, I know a lot of spirit-filled people and I don't see that even they exhibit some of these things. I just go back to that point where I think we've accepted the definition of spirit-filled people at a very low level. What we now think of as spirit-filled, I think would shock the people in the Acts Church. If they thought like that is what you guys consider to be spirit-filled, again, it's not judgment, it's just measurement. We have to be able to compare to something and the best thing we have is the example of what happens right after Pentecost in the early church. It's the best example we have. And you can look at them and you can see the difference. Tozer mentioned some, by the way. You can just look at the lives of the apostles and see the difference in them. They had this awareness that God was present that went with them everywhere. They had unexplainable joy in the midst of suffering. In Acts 5, after they were beaten, they were thanking God that they were found worthy enough to be beaten for the gospel. Peter, who had been so scared to face that tribunal, suddenly joyful that the same tribunal had beaten him. Their power, the words that they had suddenly penetrated people's hearts. It was so different. These people preached before. They'd even seen miraculous things when they were with Jesus, but suddenly their words meant a lot more and people were coming forward, responding in a way they'd never seen before. They were people that were transformed from just asking questions constantly, not understanding what Jesus was talking about. People who suddenly were preaching and giving all the answers and connecting all the pieces for people. People who were citing scriptures and explaining them all focused on Christ anew. People who delight in prayer. If you're one of those people who delight in prayer, come forward and talk to me because I find so few people, myself first. I've been counting the number of days I can go without prayer, <laughs> just like a contest. I'm not winning. <laughs> it's, 
just, it's, it's like I'm shamed. <laughs> How ridiculous it is. Like I just, I, I can just, I can go three, four days without prayer and I even miss it. These people were constantly praising God, it seems, with their lips. They were meeting together for prayer all the time, probably because they felt the power, they felt the presence, they felt the wonder of what it meant to be with God. And they loved the scriptures. They meditated on them day and night. I read the scriptures like, you know, like a textbook to get ready for things, instead of just absorbing the words. These are just evidences that are found in scripture. Just found in the book of Acts. They're just examples. Again, not to put more guilt on us. We don't need guilt. What we need, though, is a good measuring rod. We need to stand next to something and say, what else is Scripture there for in this case? Because we have this example. We have this history that Luke carefully records of the early church. Why is it there? So we just read about it? No, so we can actually look at it and say, this is what it was like. How is it like now? How do we compare that? What do we do about that? What awareness does that bring to me? So think about these questions. Oh, let me answer the question since we said we'd answer one question today. Are we capable of anything without the Spirit and His gifts? The answer is yes. We're capable of human-sized efforts that rely entirely on our own talents and abilities. That's not bad. It's just not, I think, what all of us are looking for. Here's what Francis Chan says in the end of this kind of section. He says, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this on my own power. I want to live in such a way that I am desperate for him to come through, that if he doesn't come through, I am screwed. <laughs> I think that's pretty honest. But I got to say, these words leap off the page to me when I read them because they sound like they come from someone who actually experiences the power of the Spirit. So we can poke fun, but in the end... My hat's off to somebody who can express things this way because he's experienced them. Not just because he knows or is read, because he actually feels it, experiences it, as a relationship with the very spirit that I'd like to have a relationship with. Would you? I would say this week, just start by looking at this and hang on to it for a while. I know it's paper. It'll probably rip in a few days. But I think for the days that it lasts on your keychain, it's at least a tool to get it started. Let's pray for God to actually take on the rest and do the work. Spirit, in open confession, we ask you to expand who you are in our hearts and to change us into a better understanding. These words on the screen, they barely cover who you are. And these simple tools that we have, they're just silly compared to the power that you have to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, in the coming weeks, I pray that you would expand our desire for you and that you would clear away the obstacles in our life that prevent us from actually having a real relationship with you. Most of those are caused by us. So turn our face towards you. Take away, Lord, our desire to continue to live in our own power, in sin, in the ways that we know and are comfortable with. And cause us, Lord, to fall completely into your hands, which takes a lot of risk. It takes a lot of openness and a lot of trust that you're actually going to show up and do those things. And Lord, I'm even risking that we can solve any of these questions that we've asked in just a few simple weeks. But Lord, I know you can. Lord, I pray you will. I pray this in your name. Amen.